Well, a good Monday morning to you, and thank you for tuning into Real Talk. I'm Ryan Jesperson, and that is Ayla Brooke and the Soundman. And we hope that you've been enjoying the music. We hope that you had a great weekend. What a weekend it was from a news standpoint. Uh, I've already mentally prepared the, the technical producer of this show, Sam Brooks, that we may be here live until 6.30 p.m. today. Uh, as we uh, attempt, are you, uh, <clears throat> you got nothing to do? You're okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we can, we'll work it out. It's, it's Monday. It's, it's a Monday. So it would, it would start the week off on the right foot. It, it would. Oh yeah. How was your weekend, by the way? My weekend was great. It was, uh, it was, it was just, what I don't was know. the highlight of your weekend? What was the highlight of my weekend? I got a lot of stuff done at home. Um, uh, a highlight of my weekend was I finished a small carpentry project, which is a little decor item for a favorite bar. Attaboy. Yesterday. You can say what nice bar it is. It's for Arcadia. For Arcadia I mean, we talk about Arcadia company. all the time. Yeah. yeah Arcadia, so. Arcadia Brewing Company brought Sam and I together. And so we have a very, it has a very special place in our hearts. So that's, so you were, you're working on a construction project there for when they can finally I was going to say they reopen are, to the public. Well, they, they're doing, uh, they're they're selling cans of beer and they're doing growler fills right now. So go in and get your growlers. Go in and pick up some cans. There you go. Help the team at Arcadia. It out. took us um, one minute to yeah. start talking about craft beer on this Monday. I'm morning. okay with that. <laughs> it took us one minute. <laughs> so we got to talk about uh, developments in the United States. Uh, Donald Trump. It looks like will become the second, uh, rather the first president in American history to be impeached for a second time. We're going to talk about what what transition looks like. Uh, we're going to get into some of the items that were making news over the weekend, including, I mean, some some of these things happen after we go off the air, so to speak, and and that includes Donald Trump getting booted from Twitter, uh, which you know a lot of people I think are, are are going, yeah, like what took so long? It's about time. It was about time that this happened, and 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 some people, and and many, I mean, many people, many of Donald Trump's supporters, uh, including some people in my personal circle. I don't know about your circle. Uh, some people believe that this is a, a very concerning, a very concerning development that that uh, Twitter shouldn't be uh, able or allowed to deplatform Donald Trump. Uh, quite frankly, I think that's ignorant, naive, and ridiculous. But um, I'm curious to see what you're going to say this morning on our live uh, YouTube chat, on our comment stream, as as well as of course on our hashtag. That's Real Talk RJ. If you want to chime in live while we're doing the show here on, uh, if you want to chime in on Twitter, you want to make sure you use the hashtag Real Talk RJ. We'll get into some developments on the Canadian political landscape over the weekend. We're going to talk about Alberta politics, including uh, what we'll lead off with here uh, in just a moment. The results from our Get Real question of the week presented by Y Station, uh, the official research and strategy partner of Real Talk. We asked you basically where you were at with regards to your confidence in Alberta's provincial government, uh, with regards to your confidence in Alberta's premier, uh, your confidence in the public service. I told you that I hoped that we would have more than a thousand people respond to this survey. Uh, I, I pointed out other other surveys, the, you know, the, the the big outlets, the big media outlets uh, that that present data and they say exclusive polling results from and then they name whatever polling firm they're going with. And then they say this, according to one thousand respondents or this, according to fifteen hundred respondents. And you go, that's a pretty good sample size. That's pretty solid. Like 1,500 people is pretty solid. So I put it out there to you, our Real Talk audience, uh, the hardcore audience members that are tuned in live with us each and every morning, uh, those of you that watch on YouTube later in the day, those of you that are listening, streaming live on Mixler right now, what's up to you? And then, of course, the thousands that download our podcast and listen to it later in the day or later in the week. Well, I asked for, I, I told you I was hoping for 1,000. It turns out that, 
4,351 of you swung on by RyanJesperson.com and answered our question of the week. And if you're wondering right now, if you're, if you're like the go-getter in your social circle, in your household, if you're the one that started going, you know what? I wonder if I clicked on it right now. I wonder if, if this week's question of the week would already be posted. It is. And we're ready for your answer on that one. Let me tee it up really quickly before we get into the results of last week. So, so this week, we're asking you, how do we as citizens stop the decline in the overall quality of politics? The question is general on purpose. It doesn't name jurisdictions. It doesn't name parties. We're not even naming nations here. We saw last week the uh, undeniable evidence that points to the degradation of politics, of quality politics in general. Now, someone's going to write in and say, that's an oxymoron, Jesperson, quality politics. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I had somebody over the weekend say, uh, you know, a, a story surfaced, Pat Rain, the, the maligned MLA out of uh, Lesser Slave Lake, uh, a story surfaced with receipts that, you know, when, when he swung by as his popularity was dwindling, and he, and, he, and he decided to send like 500 bucks worth of pizza to hospitals in his region in High Prairie and, and Slave Lake. And well, the receipts have come out and it, and, it, and it turns out that he didn't send them there. Uh, he had his staffers send them there and then he had Alberta taxpayers cover the bill. And he didn't tip, by the way. Uh, and this came out and somebody said somebody responded to me and, and said, yeah, but Jesperson, you know, I'm, I'm basically I'm paraphrasing this. I'm, I'm not cool with it, but they all do it. All politicians. This is it's politics. I mean, that's politics. And some of the responses to that, people are going, yeah, but no, uh-uh. You know, including from some former elected officials that are like, hey, that wasn't the case with that. No, uh-uh. And there are people on the left and the center and the right that are incredible, uh, that are amazing public servants, and we're lucky to have them. And there are people on the left and the center and the right that are lousy. So how do we as citizens stop the decline in the overall quality of politics? That's the question of the week coming up for this coming week. And in just a second, we'll get to what the 4,351 of you that answered our question of the week this past week told us. First, let's remind you, boy, what a what a, what a last 24 hours for Bitcoin. Seems like everybody I know is going, hey, I want to be careful what I say here because, you know, don't actually sell your house and put it all into Bitcoin. I mean, maybe you should. Maybe, maybe in looking back, you'll go, I, sh- I wish I would have sold my house and put it all into Bitcoin. Let me be very clear. Do not ever take investment advice from me ever ever do your own research make your own decisions talk to people you trust but if you're fascinated like i am with what's going on at bitcoin right now and you want to make more sense of it you want to talk to somebody you can trust a legitimate company a company that's about to be publicly traded so they've been you know going through all the audit process and everything based here in edmonton across canada with atms the whole nine yards the easiest way to buy and sell check out bitcoin well they're our presenting sponsor and you can find them under the sponsors page at ryanjesperson.com Real Talk starts now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. All right. So we asked you, let's get into our Y Station question of the week. This is remarkable. Now, we won't necessarily open every Monday's show with results from our question of the week. Sometimes we will. But this past week was a remarkable week in the news cycle, undeniably. And we asked you, basically, we were curious to know how you were feeling uh, about, you know, I mean, the provincial government, if you live in Alberta, how are you feeling with regards to your confidence in the government, the, you know, following the, the revelations that were the, the UCP's vacations scandal? 
uh, where we know a number of uh, MLAs, ministers, political staffers traveled internationally. And not just them, you're 100% right. Uh, federal MPs from the Liberals and the NDP uh, down in Calgary, Mayor Nenshi's chief of staff. We grilled him about that on Friday. If you missed it, you can find the clip on our YouTube channel or, of course, you can go back in our podcast archives. We wanted to know how you felt, where your confidence was at. Now, before we tee this up, I want to let you know a few things. As mentioned, 4,351 surveys completed. That's incredible. Almost 5,000 people. That's amazing. The survey was conducted between January 3rd and 10th. And there were very, very few. I want to give thanks to the team at Y Station uh, who were working on a Sunday to pull all this together. Very few responses under prefer not to say or I don't know. In other words, you know how you felt about the questions we were asking you. Let's get to some of these numbers, Sam. We want to we want to take you. I mean, this is what you call a top line report. So we want to, this is this is like part of a twenty page document, and we want to show you behind the scenes what you had to say. Now, why are there two numbers here? This is really interesting. First of all, we asked, did you give up family traditions over the holiday season? That word traditions is big, obviously. Did you give up family traditions? That's the word that the former municipal affairs minister Tracy Allard used. Hawaii for seventeen years was her family tradition. Did you give up traditions? these holidays in order to comply with current public health orders and directives. Now, the the, the teal, I'm going to go teal. Sam, is that turquoise or teal, would you say? Ooh, it's kind of, in the, I, I would go with uh, cyan, but that's just me. Cyan. It might even yeah. be like a Tiffany blue. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I feel green for Tiffany blue. Yeah, but you're right. Yeah. I, I'm going to go teal. Okay, we'll I'm gonna call go, it teal. We'll call it teal. And I'm going to go. This is good radio. And do I go mauve? It's a it's a little red. There's a little red in there for it to be mauve. But I'm going to go teal and mauve. And I know some will say mauve. So the teal is 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 answers or submissions that we received before Jason Kenny released the statement. You remember he didn't he didn't appear in front of the public again. But but after public outcry, so he appeared January first. He did that unacceptable garbage that we've all sifted through. Right. The one that caused everybody to absolutely flip out. And then January 4th, he issued a statement saying, OK, actually, my chief of staff is gone. Tracy Allard's not a minister and the rest of them are going to be shuffled around. Less work for the same pay, basically. So so Teal is before Kenny's second announcement. Move is after. So you can see if public opinion changed with uh, Premier Kenny's second announcement. Basically, put it this way, 82% of you gave up traditions and you say that it sucked. Let's get to the next graph. Let's take a look at this. What would you like to see happen to ministers, MLAs, and political staffers who decided to vacation internationally over the holiday season against public health advice and common sense? Now, you were allowed to answer more than one time. So if you're sitting here looking at this, why doesn't it add up to 100? You could choose several different options. 61% of the more than 4,300 respondents believed that each of these individuals should resign in disgrace. 52% believed that they should be unceremoniously fired. 1% of you believe that nothing should happen because they've done nothing wrong. 1%. Which means like that's like 43 people. You could you could throw a decent party post COVID with forty three people that believe that they did nothing wrong. Post photos on Twitter, say we're surrounded in a room by people that believe we did nothing wrong. Problem is, you'd have like forty two hundred and fifty people outside going. Eh. Let's get to the next chart. This is interesting here. So, resign in disgrace was the choice of more than sixty percent. Okay, now now here's what it looks like before and after Kenny's announcement. Seventy three percent of you before. 
you know, three and four, we'll call it. We're furious. Said they should resign in disgrace. Say, you, you, did it dial back your anger a little bit after, you know, Tracy Allard was, was you know, relieved of duties as Minister of Municipal Affairs after Jamie Huckabee was, was turfed as chief of staff? Well, the number dropped from 73 to 60 percent. So maybe the anger subsided a little bit. Let's take a look at the next one. This is interesting. Now, level of agreement. I find these fascinating. And let me know. We're, we're, we're keeping an eye here on our we're keeping an eye on our live YouTube comments and, and, uh, and on our hashtag Real Talk RJ right now to get a sense of where you're at with this. The level of agreement. Check this out. Now, keep in mind across the top, Ari, strongly disagree all the way through to to strongly agree. And then I don't know when uh, when when suggested or asked to respond to the statement, I have confidence in the government's ability to manage this pandemic. I have confidence 75% three and four strongly disagreed. Not not sure or not slightly disagree. More than 3000 people out of the 4300 that responded have do not have confidence in the government's ability to manage this pandemic. Look at that. When when asked when the statement, I still have trust in this government with their non covid related responsibilities the numbers are even worse for the united conservatives 77 percent disagree now how do people feel about the public service with the statement in front of you i trust non-elected public servants and the public health officer to manage the pandemic but i believe the elected government actions have and will compromise the response 52 percent more than half strongly agree and here's the big number midway through on the right hand side of the page, 83 percent, generally speaking, have lost trust in this government. Eighty three percent. If twenty five or thirty percent told us they generally lost trust in the government, that would be a story. Eighty three percent is wild. And huge cause for concern. Sam, let's take a look at, at, at a couple more graphs before we move on from this. This is really interesting. I have confidence in the government's ability to manage the pandemic. 79% before Premier Kenny's announcement by way of statement, not media availability, statement on January 4th. 79% strongly disagreed that they had confidence in the government's ability. Seven, that went down to 75 after the announcement. So a slight tick down, but not much. Let's take a look at the next numbers. I trust non-elected public servants and the public health officer to manage the pandemic. The numbers we saw before, the numbers hold relatively true. More than half of you, just over half of you strongly agree. You trust public servants. You trust Dr. Dina Hinshaw, but you suspect the government action may compromise the response. Let's take a look at one more, Sam. Generally, I've lost trust in government. What changed after the January 4th announcement? Not a lot, little bit. 86% of you said you've strongly agreed with the fact you'd lost trust in government, 86 before the announcement, 83 after. So kind of interesting, still both in the 80s. Okay, so this gives you a sense of where Albertans are at. That gives you a sense. And our thanks to the team at Y Station for putting that together. Now, James says uh, the problem with this poll is, is that it's mostly going to be us real talkers. Very few of us have much use for the United Conservatives. Still a damning poll which is an interesting point from James. Now, what we want to make sure that we do here is build, we'll call it a panel. Our panel is the regular contributors to our Real Talk Question of the Week. We call it Get Real. 
That number's over 1,500 right now, which is amazing. More than 1,500 of you have committed every week. You're going to come in and answer the questions. And it takes, what, two minutes, three minutes maybe? It's great, and it gives us a good understanding of where we're at. Now, I hope... I hope that our poll is is reaching every corner of the province. We're going to have uh, national questions. I mean, our poll question this week is about how do you feel about the quality of politics in general? I hope that we have Canadians from coast to coast. We'll be using the Canadian poly hashtag. We'll be getting people to push it out. We want to hear from everybody. If you're a big fan of Premier Jason Kenney, if you're a big supporter of the United Conservatives, we want you to be telling people about our polls. We want you to be contributing to our polls. We want our polls to be representative of the province. This is not a talk show designed for people that want to pile on any particular government or pile on any particular individual. This is a talk show that talks about the things people are, you know, talking about. We follow news, politics, and pop culture. The story right now is the news in Alberta. We're not making the news. We're reflecting it. We're analyzing it. And so I'll be curious to see. Now, Now maybe there are more people watching this show this morning that would be less sympathetic to a right-wing conservative government than people that would be more sympathetic. I don't know. But I really do endeavor to get, and this is why numbers are so important, why we said we want to have at least 1,500 people taking part in the poll every week to make sure that you don't have complete consensus on issues. So this is pretty, uh, pretty interesting stuff, pretty interesting numbers. Now, we've got a lot of other ground to cover today. I mean, the Speaker of the House, Nathan Cooper, who is a United Conservative MLA, obviously, some pretty damning words uh, for his government. Miranda Rosen, the MLA of Banff, Kananaskis, writing a piece in editorial. Did you read this about masks? She calls it freedom in a floundering world. We've asked uh, Miranda Rosen for an interview. We have a request in with her. I'd love to speak with her about where she's at with that. Pretty interesting timing. Uh, lamenting the loss of freedoms, talking about the provincial government basically infringing on people's rights as the provincial government is being hammered for its COVID response or maybe hypocritical non-response. Interesting timing from MLA Rosen. We've got classes back today. People are back in schools. People haven't heard from Adriana LaGrange, the education minister. There's some rumblings about what the reason might be there. There's a, a political podcast. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the breakdown, but they've got a, a pretty interesting story. They've, they did a freedom of information request. I watched it last night. Their, their post is it's about 20 minutes. You can follow them at the breakdown AB. And they've dug into the emails around the mask procurement process. And, and I mean, they're, they're, they're not pulling punches. It's pretty interesting, as a matter of fact. The host of the breakdown, the host of that podcast, Nate Pike, is calling it cronyism, corruption, and the breaking of Albertans' trust. I mean, here's the basic story. The provincial government needed to get a whole bunch of masks after they promised that each student in schools would be given two masks by the provincial government. They had to get like a couple million of them. And the procurement process was underway and the non-elected government officials that were taking a look at it basically had a list of four providers. I won't get too into the weeds on this, but, but here's, the, here's the view from 10,000 feet. Old Navy, everybody knows Old Navy, said that they could do the masks for X price. It's like, I don't remember what it was, but like X price. They could, they could deliver right away. They could get a couple million masks, no big deal. The government officials, non-elected, had a list of four the Minister of Education's office or people speaking for the Minister of Education or out of that department that she spearheads 
You see, I pick my words carefully to make sure that we're accurate. You got to trust this stuff. They intervened. They meddled. And they said, okay, well, you know, this much of, of, of the order can go to Old Navy, but, but this company out of Red Deer, they've got to get some. Now, the company's price is about 185% higher than Old Navy's price. But the Ministry of Education wanted to make sure that that company in Red Deer got the deal. It's worth about 700 grand. So you do some digging. It turns out, you know, Minister LaGrange says, I didn't know this company. I didn't know these people. Well, it turns out that she does. It turns out that they donated to her campaign. It turns out that... So there are issues here that extend outside of the UCP vacations. Now, the question is, what does this actually mean? What do Nathan Cooper's comments to his, to his constituents mean? I'm going to get into that in the newscast in just a second. And we want to know how you're sifting through and sorting through all of this. We're also going to bring you some video later in the day today. Everybody's talking about this Arnold Schwarzenegger video. We're going to bring you some of it. And today is the debut of a new feature. We're going to bring it to you every Monday. We think it's going to brighten your week from one of our new partners at Kubi Energy. Uh, speaking of partners, Sam, let's let's get into this. Let's recognize uh, some of those that make sure that we are on the air every single day. That includes the team at Eden Landscapes. Uh, have you spent your lockdown? Have you spent your quarantine staring out at your backyard and just dreaming of how you might make those improvements? but you don't know where to start, or maybe you don't see eye to eye with the person that you share that mortgage with, this is Eden Landscaping's specialty. They're doing a lot of work over Zoom meetings to work with clients. They can even check out your property using Google Earth and start to get the ball rolling on that. So once the ground thaws, they're ready to rock and roll. You can check them out at landscapeedmonton.ca. We're also very excited to welcome this morning to the team of Real Talk Builders, the Alberta Machine Intelligence Institute. We call them Amy. And you can check out Amy online at amii.ca. That's amy.ca. They partner with companies of all sizes across industries to drive innovation strategy and provide practical guidance and advice, corporate training and talent recruitment. They work with big multinationals like Imperial Oil and Shell Scottford using their AI adoption spectrum. Again, check out Amy at amy.ca. And finally, a big shout out to the team at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge this morning. They are your home for Dodge in the province of Alberta with the best selection and the Jeep brand. 2021 is going to be a huge year for Jeep, including the return of the luxury SUV, the Grand Wagoneer. A lot of people are talking about the Jeep lineup in 2021. Of course, there's that wildly popular Grand Cherokee as well. That's the one I'm driving right now. Absolutely love it. When it comes to bang for buck in the SUV market, I don't think anybody does it better than Jeep, including that Grand Cherokee. I got mine from St. Albert Dodge. You can find them at Sherwood Dodge as well. Just talk to Scott and his team there. All right. We've been looking forward to this interview for a long time. Uh, Ryan Imgrid uh, has has been basically, uh, it seems, on every media outlet in Canada, including CBC, McLean's. He's even been on The New York Times as a biostatistician doing these daily COVID-19 and vaccine updates. Uh, Ryan, I know everybody seems to want to talk to you this morning. So we want to say thank you and welcome to Real Talk. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, Ryan, we're, we're hearing actually, uh, you know, we're coming to you from Alberta and, and some pretty encouraging numbers, as a matter of fact, when it comes to vaccination rates here, a bit of a slow start. And then Alberta seems to really have ramped it up. You've got a great perspective on how provinces and territories are doing across the nation uh, up to the minute virtually. Can you bring us up to speed on, on how Alberta's doing and, and maybe how some of the other leaders are doing as well? 
Yeah, so actually Alberta is doing fantastic. Um, they also started off very slow. I think, um, you know, the very first week or so, I think Alberta and also Ontario um, were next to bottom when it came down to uh, vaccines. Many were received around December 21st. Uh, one week later, um, most were still sitting inside of freezers in both Ontario and also Alberta. Since then, they've really, really picked up the pace. Um, and it's been quite impressive to see, actually. Um, I've been um, surprised, actually, how fast they were able to actually get these uh, vaccines into arms recently. I think they made some mistakes earlier on, um, but I hope that changes for the good now. So, Ryan, what what did you see with regards to the you know, vaccines stuck in freezers and, and maybe some of the initial uh, hurdles? Uh, were you able to see? I mean, were, were people that were sifting through data able to understand where some of those hiccups were occurring and, and maybe what Alberta or other leading provinces are doing correctly now? I mean, was there kind of a tipping point that was observable or identifiable? Yeah, I think what happened um, is that we've got a whole bunch of hands in the pot. We've got federal guidelines, which are called NACI guidelines, who basically determines who receives the vaccination. On top of that, you have the provincial guidelines that maybe sometimes further clarify that. Um, but the issue is when you've got so many hands in the pot and you've got so many different guidelines, it's sort of tough to ensure who gets vaccinated first. Further to that, then you have these vaccines rolling out to hospitals, long-term care facilities, and other places like that, where these rules that are not very clarified um, then have to be followed properly. And sometimes, once again, when you got these rules being passed on from one person to the next, they're not being followed properly. I'll, I'll be honest, I think what happened early on is that there was so much worry about the Pfizer vaccine negative 70 degrees Celsius requirement that they were so worried about that, that um, about those um, freezers that they said, you know what, let's worry about the freezers, but they forgot about the actual rollout plan. And I think that was the worry. Uh, so, Ryan, and at the same time, though, I mean, it's 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 probably worth pointing out that in, in so many ways as this vaccine was developed on an incredibly quick timeline, um, the rollout process as well, to a certain degree, is 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 being developed on the fly, so to speak. Uh, I've seen some talks and back and forth. Uh, uh, the provinces are telling the federal government, hey, listen, we have more capacity right now than we're utilizing with regards to getting people vaccinated. In other words, the procurement process is going to be especially important. I saw Quebec, I think it was on Thursday or Friday, basically saying we could we could vaccinate, uh, you know, more people in a day than we're being given in a week here. Uh, who, who does this ultimately come down to? Is it the feds and the procurement process? What are you noticing? Absolutely. So the. The procurement process is federal, 100% federal government. Um, they need to ensure that we get these as fast as possible. Um, I think one thing, at least from the federal level, that has been more positive from my perspective is that we don't know how much they're actually paying for these doses. And I'll be honest, I think that's a positive thing. Um, it sounds like they're paying a late premium to get these doses, to get these doses as fast as possible. And I think it's a good thing that we don't know how much they're paying because I do think they are trying to get it to us fast enough. But I'll be honest, I think these next few months are going to really, really be like telling how fast we get these vaccines. What I'd like to see is by the time like May or June hits, I'd like to see us in Canada have 20 million vaccines on hand, and then it's up to the provinces to properly roll that out. Ryan, uh, I know you've got an interview you got to do in two minutes, so we want to get into some of the data that you were able to, to compile and share with us. We're grateful for it. Uh, you've got Ontario circled here as the percent of distributed vaccines sitting in freezers. Uh, let's point out Alberta's got 25%. This is a good thing, right? You don't want to be at 100%. You want to be at zero, right? Absolutely. Uh, well, you don't want to fully be at 
Zero, because you want to ensure that you have a second dose for other people. Now, at right. the exact same time, we were we were slow to roll out. So you want this number low, but not too low. I think where Alberta City right now around 25%, that's a good value to be at right now. Um, I'd like to see Ontario's get down a little bit further, but I think where Alberta is right now is fantastic in terms of the actual vaccine rollout. Ryan, what's going on in the Maritimes? Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick? Really, really good question. They started up really, really fast. They um, they got those vaccines out really, really quickly. Um, I know with like PEI, um, they have such a small population that when you receive one tray of like vaccines, you're going to get it out really, really quickly. But yeah, they have you know certainly um, you know slowed down. Yeah, so they've you know slowed down a little bit since then, um, and also you know Northwest Territories, um, you know some of these. Um, Northern areas too. It's interesting too how um, you know they have not been able to vaccinate enough people, and yet they have the vaccine. So I'm not sure whether they you know whether they just simply haven't like updated their stats or what it is. Ryan, uh, you know the numbers don't lie, and uh, it gives us such a, a more clear sense of where we're at right now. Uh, really want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us. I know you're going right from this right into another interview, so we'll cut you loose. Have a great week, and thank you. Sounds good. You take it easy, Ryan. See you later. Yeah, you bet. That's a biostatistician, uh, Ryan Imgrund. Uh, We're going to be talking uh, a little bit more. I'm curious to know about your your firsthand, your sort of anecdotal experience on getting those vaccines. Right now, for the most part, we know it's still obviously frontline healthcare workers, folks in long-term care or or, uh, shared living circumstances. In other words, those most susceptible to COVID-19. And we're getting a lot of emails uh, from real talkers uh, to talk at ryanjesperson.com. They're letting us know about uh, some of the wins um, and, and I won't say losses, but some of the concerns that you've had through the process. And so please do keep those uh, coming. We're very eager to hear about those uh, coming up in just a second. We'll talk to Kat Lantane with bloodwatch.org. How much do you know about what Alberta's changed when it comes to blood policy, blood donation policy being paid for blood donations? This is a story that we've been following and bloodwatch.org has certainly been following. We're going to get to that in just a second. Uh, Sam, why don't we take a look at the headlines right now before we get into it? Here's what's making news on this Monday morning. Well, Jason Herring of the Calgary Herald reporting the speaker of the Alberta legislature, Nathan Cooper, in an email to a constituent late last week in his writing of Olds Didsbury Three Hills that uh, Premier Jason Kenney's handling of the international travel scandal is, quote, a great embarrassment to the government, uh, wrote Speaker Cooper that so many of my colleagues chose otherwise uh, should be of great embarrassment to the government. In other words, to leave, especially Premier Kenny, he writes, who chose not to sanction these senior officials and staff members until he was prompted to do so by widespread public outrage. Quote, the hypocrisy of this scandal has clearly undermined this government's moral authority. And while these senior officials have now been sanctioned, the government now faces an uphill battle in rebuilding public trust that's been lost. You know, for those of you that are questioning some of the results of our Y Station question of the week, when you've got the Speaker of the House, you've got MLAs, conservative MLAs, talking about a loss of trust. I'm not sure it's that unreasonable that 80 plus percent of Albertans would be saying the exact same thing. As mentioned, the team at The Breakdown, it's an Alberta political podcast. You can read them at The Breakdown AB. Uh, reporting after a freedom of information request and they've provided the receipts uh, that education minister adriana lagrange allegedly meddled in the mask procurement process insisting that a manufacturer in her city her home city of red deer 
uh, the company owned by a donor to her campaign, who she claims she didn't know, be awarded a contract worth just about $700,000, despite the fact the company was not on the list of four service providers identified by the POC, the Provincial Operations Center. The masks, of course, as mentioned, 180% of the cost of the masks of the lowest price bidder, that is Old Navy, host Nate Pike of The Breakdown, calling it cronyism, corruption, and the breaking of Albertans Trust. You can find that story online. The House Democrats are formally unveiling their resolution to impeach Donald Trump on Monday. That's, of course, coming up at, well, it's coming up right now, as a matter of fact, 11 o'clock Eastern, when the House gavels in today. Uh, The single impeachment article introduced points to Trump's repeated false claims that he won the election, as well as his speech to the crowd on January 6th, before pro-Trump riders breached the Capitol. In all of this, the resolution says President Trump gravely endangered the security of the United States and its institutions of government. Speaking of Donald Trump, can I do this on short notice? Can you show me the social media platforms that have banned the president of the United States over the past few days? Uh, The PGA. Look at this. Look at how good this guy is. Our technical producer, Samuel G. Brooks. This tweeter thought it was pretty funny that Donald Trump was banned from Spotify. But look at this. Facebook, Twitter. Like Spotify has mentioned, Instagram, Snapchat, Shopify, Reddit, YouTube, Pinterest, TikTok. You get it. They're saying forget about it. Freedom of speech does not equal freedom of reach. And the PGA Championship in 2022 will not be played at Trump National Golf Club Bedminster in the state of New Jersey. This according to announcement from the PGA just last night, President Jim Richardson of the PGA saying, quote, it has become clear that conducting the PGA Championship, it's one of their four majors, at Trump Bedminster would be detrimental to the PGA of America brand. It would put at risk the PGA's ability to deliver our many programs and sustain the longevity of our mission. It was a decision to ensure that the PGA and PGA professionals can continue to lead and grow our great game for decades to come. So the PGA looking for a new home for the 2022 PGA Championship. Now, here's a story. Let's get to this. Uh, Our first guest here in the nine o'clock hour. Uh, This may be uh, uh, Kat Lantane's not with us yet. Okay, Sam, that's no problem. We'll get to her a little bit later. 935. Okay, good stuff. Thanks very much, Sam. Uh, She's coming up at 935. That means we've got some time now to get to your responses. Uh, And we also want to make sure that we get it uh, to not just our YouTube comments, but to our Twitter hashtag as well. Real Talk RJ is when you can chime in on uh, what we're talking about. the videos over the weekend were, were shocking. And you may have seen the one acquired by CNN uh, that showed from a distance, uh, pro- I'm not going to call them protesters, terrorists, uh, those that were attempting a coup uh, at, at, on Capitol Hill, uh, breaching the Capitol, beating a Capitol police officer with flagpoles, beating him with flagpoles, still holding the American flag, uh, which is tough to wrap your mind around. You've also got video surfacing and and more and more of this is coming out online. And I'm sure that the FBI is grabbing as much of it as it possibly can um, of threats made against the American vice president, um, including this one that came out just over the weekend. We'll turn up our audio so you can hear it as best you can. But but lean in. If you haven't heard this, you're going to hear the mob calling for the hanging of the Republican vice president. Check this out. Hey, Mike Pence! 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 
So that's absolutely bonkers. Uh, it goes without saying. That's absolutely bonkers, um, which is probably too trivial of a word to use uh, when people are calling for the, the hanging, the murder of the Republican vice president. This, this is, uh, I think, indicative of just how out of control this has become. And now people are wondering, well, what does this mean for the United States between now and January 20th when Donald Trump is inaugurated or, oh, my gosh, when Joe Biden is inaugurated? Uh, what does this mean for the future of the Republican Party? And over the weekend, a lot of people were talking about the governor, about what Arnold Schwarzenegger had to say about this. Of course, I don't think I have to give you the background that he was was born in Austria and and, uh, you know, for a good number of years lived in Austria. And, and that obviously formed a lot of his opinions and his life experiences on things like governance, on things like fallout from fascism, from war. Uh, he he spoke for about seven minutes. He released a seven minute video. We're not going to play the entire seven minutes for you now. Obviously, you can find it online yourself but the first few minutes i mean the whole thing is poignant he talks about conan's sword he has that movie prop from one of his iconic films and he talks about steel being forged you know but and 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 paints a really beautiful or at least an effective metaphor but he starts talking about his personal life and his upbringing and and what he saw in austria post-world war ii and what he sees in the united states now and it's worth a listen as an immigrant to this country I would like to say a few words to my fellow Americans and to our friends around the world about the events of recent days. Now, I grew up in Austria. I'm very aware of Kristallnacht, or the Night of Broken Glass. It was a night of rampage against the Jews carried out in 1938 by the Nazi equivalent of the Proud Boys. Wednesday was the Day of Broken Glass right here in the United States. The broken glass was in the windows of the United States Capitol. But the mob did not just shatter the windows of the Capitol. They shattered the ideals we took for granted. They did not just break down the doors of the building that housed the American democracy. They trampled the very principles on which our country was founded. Now, I grew up in the ruins of a country that suffered the loss of its democracy. I was born in 1947, two years after the Second World War. Growing up, I was surrounded by broken men drinking away their guilt over their participation in the most evil regime in history. Not all of them were rabid anti-Semites or Nazis. Many just went along, step by step, down the road. They were the people next door. I've never shared this so publicly because it is a painful memory. But my father would come home drunk once or twice a week, and he would scream and hit us and scare my mother. I did not hold him totally responsible because our neighbor was doing the same thing to his family, and so was the next neighbor over. I heard it with my own ears and saw it with my own eyes. They were in physical pain from the shrapnel in their bodies, and in emotional pain from what they saw or did. It all started with lies and lies and lies and intolerance. So being from Europe, I've seen firsthand how things can spin out of control. I know there is a fear in this country and all over the world that something like this could happen right here. Now, I do not believe it is, but I do believe that we must be aware of the dire consequences of selfishness and cynicism. 
President Trump sought to overturn the results of an election and of a fair election. He sought a coup by misleading people with lies. My father and our neighbors were misled also with lies. And I know where such lies lead. President Trump is a failed leader. He will go down in history as the worst president ever. The good thing is that he soon will be as irrelevant as an old tweet. But what are we to make of those elected officials who have enabled his lies and his treachery? I will remind them of what Teddy Roosevelt said. Patriotism means to stand by the country. It does not mean to stand by the president. So that's uh, former California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger with some uh, pretty uh, powerful uh, recollections of his time growing up in Austria and what he sees here in the United States and, and what he's doing in calling people uh, to be better and calling people to be diligent in, in their own circles and their own walks and, uh, you know, really sort of, I think, communicate clearly where expectations are with government. It drives me back to our question of the week this week, and we hope that you'll swing on by RyanJesperson.com and answer it. Uh, how do we as citizens stop the decline in the overall quality of politics. Now, there's there's a lot we can get to here. As mentioned, impeachment proceedings will be underway. It'll be introduced, the article of impeachment today in Washington, D.C. Now, you might be saying, why does this even matter? Why does it even matter on January 11th, January 20th? Biden will be inaugurated. You know, for one, as I understand it, it's to prevent Donald Trump from ever uh, seeking the presidency again, from running again. Now, do we believe that all of this will simply go away the unrest, the division, the violence, obviously not. It came from somewhere. It had been festering somewhere. It was whipped up by someone effectively, but it's always been there. So what does this mean for the United States? What does it mean for politics in general? How do we parlay this, if you will, into Canadian politics? I mean, what do the conversations need to look like here in Canada? So many of you over the past number of days have been saying to us, hey, listen, all this stuff about, you know, QAnon and and all these, you know, the 4chan and, and all these you know people that, you know, we're looking down stateside at Washington, D.C. and talk, you know, sort of shaking our heads and, and, and tisk tisking at the Americans. We have our own problems here. We have serious problems here in Canada that evidence themselves on a regular basis. Sam, can you show me the photo out of Grimshaw? Did you see this? I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, and I'm curious to know, Real Talkers, how you feel about this, not how you feel about the photo. Uh, if you probably uh, experience the same feeling that I do when you see this, this is at the Canada Post Office in Grimshaw. I mean, Sam, do I, I just saw the look. I looked over. I saw the look on your face. You look. Uh, how, I just sort of recoiled in horror. There a little bit. You recoiled yeah, in horror. Like, ugh, yeah, oh boy. Like, I don't, you know. I uh, when I see that photo, I here, put it back up again. This is so people were reaching out to me and saying, hey, have you seen this? Have you seen this? And I think probably because they were, you know, people were taking a look at my uh, at my Twitter and Instagram and it wasn't on there and it wasn't on my Facebook. And and I've seen some people pushing it out. I saw that former Premier Rachel Notley pushed it out. Uh, former Deputy Premier Sarah Hoffman made a comment about it. I'm sure that others have, too. Um, I. Uh, I, I'm going to be, you know, I, I honestly thought I, I didn't want to show it the light of day. I kind of didn't want to put it out there. And I know that people will say, well, you got to scrub these things with sunshine and you've got to make sure that that these types of things are are, you know, part of the public awareness. 
so that we can speak out against this type of thing as a society. You got to tackle it. Head, you got to hit it head on. And generally speaking, I do feel that way. In this circumstance, I don't know why. I just kind of thought, I don't, I don't know that I want to push this out there. I don't want to give this, this fool the reaction that they were looking for. You know? Now, now is, is it somebody who, you know, and I don't know this person, obviously, and, and, and people are condemning it, and Canada Post has issued a statement about it because, you know, the person's holding the door for someone walking into the post office, so all of a sudden Canada Post has to comment on this. You know, who knows if the guy walked into the into the Canada Post outlet wearing that. You have to assume. You have to assume that that's this guy's version of a mask. We, we all have that one person that we know that has like just the 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 absolute bottom of the barrel like no like zero standards kind of sense of humor where anything is fodder for humor where where they'll joke about anything they're always the one that's too soon on the jokes they're always the one that's you know thinking that they're telling you the joke for the first time it's the horrific racist joke that you've heard 55 times before you've been hearing it for 30 years you wish people would stop you know but then we all know this person someone's coming up in your mind right now and you're thinking right so that's this person probably i mean oh he's a good old boy he meant no harm he's got a black friend like this is how it gets handled a lot of the time he's not he doesn't hate people he's just he's got a bit of a quirky sense of humor i mean it's either that or he's a full-blown grand wizard right card-carrying member of the kkk alberta has a long history with the ku klux klan i saw somebody spelling that right now by the way with c-o-u-p like in reference to those that stormed the capital the ku klux klan i thought that was pretty clever so, you know, the proper societal response to this is what? You know, what happens if, if there's a person, you know, what happens if there's a visible minority? What happens if, if, if uh, you know, there's an African-American working in the post office and this guy walks in? I mean, what is, you know, I mean, I just, there, there's so many, I feel like everything I'm saying, I'm stopping myself from saying so many things. And I'm going, no, that's too obvious. No, that's obvious. That's obvious. That's a given. Everyone will agree on that. Maybe not. I mean, do we need to talk about, do we need to have a conversation? Do we all need to gather together as Western Canadians? Do we need to gather together as a nation and, and all agree? Someone's going to bring up Trudeau and blackface now. You know, do, have we had a national conversation on blackface? Do we all understand now it's unacceptable? Do we all understand that rolling around in Ku Klux Klan hoods is unacceptable? Can, can we all agree on that? Unbelievable. So that's in Grimshaw. Now, this is not, you don't, you don't sort of pin something like that on a political party. I know some of you are going to you know, be outraged in both directions on this, but this all comes back down to the tone. And in the States, it's pretty hard to deny that Donald Trump had set the tone for what we saw, for what culminated on January 6th, that disgraceful demonstration against American democracy. So what about here in Canada? What do we expect from our leaders? I mean, Tracy's watching this morning. She tweets at me and she says, this is happening right now. You know, this is where our province and our country's headed. Tracy says the people that are getting interviews with politicians are the ones that shouldn't. The politicians who need a base to follow them are going to the wrong group. She's pointing out that Ezra Levant with Rebel News is promoting his exclusive interview with Aaron O'Toole, the leader of Canada's conservatives. I don't see a date on this. Tracy hasn't included it. I don't know if this is recent. Rebel media has blocked me. 
<laughs> they probably don't believe that Trump should be blocked, but they blocked me. Um, but uh, I don't know. So, you know, we have media outlets here in Canada that's being gracious and generous to them. But we have problems here in Canada. We have enormous racial issues here in Canada. We have issues with extremists here in Canada. And I don't think that we can absolve ourselves of some of the responsibility that comes with conversations like this. I just don't think we can. You can let me know what you think on the YouTube comments thread. I'm curious to know exactly where you're at and where you're at on following this. You know, Penny says, I think many of us accept that these actions are abhorrent, but there's a group that, that doesn't or maybe that believes that it should be pushed back against because, you know, there are good people on all sides. That from Penny. Joanne says, I was furious when I heard about those two women being attacked in Edmonton, those Muslim women, those hijabi women. She says it is who we are now and it needs to be recognized and stopped. That from Joanne. Gilles says the fact that we will not call out improper behavior, both action and speech, is why politics is crumbling. When a party can't answer a question honestly without proclaiming fear and smear or fake news. Fair enough. Always curious for what you have to say. We're going to get to some of your emails here in just a moment. And uh, we've got a conversation coming up on Canada's blood policy in just a bit. You can also let me know what you think about this report from The Breakdown. This is a political podcast here in Alberta, an independent, Patreon-funded podcast. They say they're not journalists, but they're doing the work of journalists, including freedom of information requests. And they've come up with, in my mind, what's a pretty telling story on the mask procurement process and some nepotism, some favoritism shown, some political favors done uh, by Alberta's education ministry. We're going to get to that. Uh, we've touched on it here in the show, but get back to it in just a moment. Right now, I want to let you know how proud we are to be partnering up with Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. It's a family-owned company, two generations working in the business, offering doorstep delivery of frozen 40-pound boxes of raw dog food. It's what we feed our dogs, Moses and Monroe. They've been on it for a few years now. Uh, sourced and produced in central Alberta by a master butcher and his team. You can choose your plain protein product, protein and vegetable if you want, including beef, chicken, turkey, bison, or tripe. Go to granddog.ca for all their available products. And while you're there, make sure you use the promo code REALTALK for 10% off your first time orders. 10% off using REALTALK at granddog.ca. It's also a great day to improve the air quality in your home. And you can do that by checking out cleanairclub.ca. If you ever miss the website, just go to the sponsors link at ryanjesperson.com. Clean Air Club handles all the details around your furnace filter so you don't have to worry about forgetting it. You one time go down and read the size of your furnace filter. You enter it online. Next thing you know, they're showing up at your door with all your replacements and they're keeping you on schedule so you can save money and your family can breathe easier. Do yourself a favor and breathe easier today with Clean Air Club. And we're also very proud to be partnering with Friesen Brothers, a longtime supporter of this show way before we went on the air. Friesen Brothers is getting set to open its 15th Alberta location. That's going to be in South Edmonton, just off the Anthony Hill, Rabbit Hill Road. Unbelievable what Friesen Brothers has been doing for more than six decades, supporting Alberta farmers and producers. They only carry... Alberta beef, pork, chicken, and turkey. They use Alberta milled flour in their bakeries, and they support as many Alberta farmers as they possibly can in their produce departments. They employ Red Seal chefs, as you know, real butchers and bakers at Friesen Brothers, Alberta grown, Alberta owned. Now we wanted to, oh, that was a cool ending there. I like that. Was that a fluke? 
That was a fluke. That was yeah, a fluke. Yeah, just that fill was right at that part of just, the song. But um bum da down. I like that. That was great. I love the lead in fill on that one. Yeah. You want to play it? How does the lead in go? Oh yeah. Maybe I should do maybe I should wait a little bit when you say, all right, now it's time to thank our sponsors, and then <laughs> bam, we can hit it and everybody can get into it. Um, we wanted to get into our email inbox. I'm gonna tell you, like, just to drop numbers to give you perspective on numbers, I was doing okay. Um, on my, I was doing okay on my email inbox. Are you typically a guy that has like fourteen emails in his inbox, or do you have fourteen thousand? Uh, I'm I'm I lean towards the fourteen. I I archive them as I read them. I keep like I'm an inbox zero person. So okay. like I feel happy when there's nothing. So you have in my inbox. You have your inbox is one page. I I have one email in my inbox right now. What it's from our partner at Burn Kit because I have to get back to him. So I'm okay. leaving it in my inbox until right. I respond to that. One email. So to give you, and I know you can't see it here, but but I'm my phone here you'll see on my gmail on my personal gmail i have twenty nine thousand two hundred and seven unread Twenty nine thousand unread oh that hurts um but in my in our new email it's, it, it's new email because real talk's not even two months old yet so our email accounts are relatively new and i was doing a pretty good job staying on top of my emails i was actually pretty proud of myself staying on top of them i had about 280 emails in my inbox that i had to get to but I was feeling okay with that. Like 280 is compared to 29,000 is not that big of a deal. No, not at all. Well, now I've got 1,400 because real talkers, well, they've got ground they want to cover and real talkers have things to say. And, and that means that we're going to be leaving time every single day to get to your messages, uh, including right now. Got this one from Linda. Linda says, I'm a huge fan of the show. Uh, I normally tune in via podcast, so she's not going to hear it live on Mixler or YouTube right now. So, Linda, whenever you hear this, thanks for downloading the podcast. Thanks for sharing it. Thanks for subscribing and rating it and all the things that we ask you to do. She says, I love the diversity of topics and guests and the real talk that's happening. She says, I realize in the grand scheme of what you're doing, this is unimportant, but and she's wrong. It's not unimportant at all. It's very important. She says, I clicked on a link. I was watching your show on YouTube and I was totally blown away by the artwork behind you. She says, and I got a quick look at another piece that appears to be by the same artist. She says, this artwork brought me a moment of joy in an all too depressing world. Could you please tell me who the artist is? Isn't that great? Well, we are so, so proud to feature the work of Jay Bigham of Earth Sky art and jay uh, you can find the link to his website on ours just like under sponsors and scroll down at ryanjesperson.com these paintings sam i keep telling you i'm so paranoid that somebody is going to realize that these are for sale and somebody's going to scoop them out from underneath us both as we said before we want jay to make some money but we don't want to lose them we don't want to lose them yeah i was talking to him the other day because that we got a serious <laughs> inquiry that i passed a lot like someone yeah. actually wanted pricing and i said well you talk to jay on that because you can find it all on his website. And and they said, well, they said, well, and they sounded like they're pretty darn serious about it. And I emailed Jay and I said, I hope that it sells for your sake. But I said, but I'm nervous. He said, don't worry. He said, we can paint you another one. I said, okay. So there you have it. This one from Greg. Uh, Greg wrote in on Friday and he said, I'm really enjoying the show. Uh, he says, I, now keeping it real, like you guys are doing is very important to me and my wife, which is why we'd like it. If you could please do a short segment on the people the Albertans, the Canadians that are dying every day from this terrible disease we call COVID. He says, nobody wants to talk about death, says Greg. We get it. But the people dying from this are just that. They're people. 
He says, we often discuss how there are lists in the papers daily of the soldiers that lost their lives overseas. Uh, But these poor people that are dying of this terrible disease are just a number presented as a statistic. He says, I know it's not the same comparison, but I suspect that a lot of these people contributed to society, raised children and the like. He says, yeah, maybe the mainstream media will do the odd story about somebody that can't see their mom or dad as they suffer in isolation. But we really haven't seen a single thing about every person. He said, anyway, an example here. And I want to mention this individual's name. Greg says uh, there was a really nice story in the Sherwood Park paper paper a while back about a young man named Roger Maxwell that recently died of covid. He was a correctional officer in Fort Saskatchewan. Why is his story not news? Wonders Greg. He says, just a thought out there. He says, I know your viewers, your listeners are compassionate and would love to hear more about this kind of thing. Everybody has a story that should be told. And this is from Greg and Charlene DeWolf. I really appreciate that, Greg. That's a great point. And I wanted to read this. This is from about a week ago. But this is the exact type of when we say if you if you 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 hear something we're talking about, a, a subject resonates with you, but you want to think on it. You want to chew on it and digest it, and then you have a thought that might not be right immediately posted on our, for example, on our YouTube comment thread. The YouTube comment thread is for fast-fingered, quick-witted folks. Not that the emails aren't, but these are people that are like on the fly, chiming in in real time. I mean, I do my best to stay on top of it, but it's tough. It's tough to stay on top. as It's like watching a stock ticker. As we're talking, these comments are going. Well, Danielle took some time. She took some time on her email after we were talking about conservative federal conservative leader Aaron O'Toole and his plan uh, or what he said would be his plan to not vaccinate prisoners ahead of anybody else. Right. This was last week. You can check the tweet for more. He basically said he wanted to ensure that frontline health workers get the vaccine before prisoners. And I think a lot of people would agree with that to a certain extent, but it's like the timing and the phrasing and the implication and the communication and who he's endeavoring to reach with it and et cetera, et cetera, that had some people turned off. We brought it up and what's that? I don't agree with it one bit. Okay. I'm going to get to Danielle's email here. Danielle says, uh, Ryan, I had a thought on the comment about inmates not receiving vaccines before other Canadians. She says, I, I would have been someone to, to, to say immediately that criminals have foregone their right to certain things because they chose to break the law. Like most things, as I get older, I realize it's not black and white. Danielle says, recently, my brother was in jail after a whole host of wrong dominoes fell into place. He struggled with addiction, but he's always been a a guy that anybody would say was a good guy. He provided for his family. He loved his nieces. Danielle says, we're a close family, and he had support we were trying to give him. One night, my brother had the police called on him when he was high and accusations were made and there was never any evidence of what he was charged with. And it's a long story, she says, so I won't go into the details, but he served time. He did time. She says for something that somebody said he did. She said it was only 40 days, but, you know, it took that long to work through the courts to get him out. Danielle says, I cannot imagine how terrible that would have been to have him contract COVID while in jail and then lose him while he had no choice but to wait out his time. He is not a hardened criminal. He is not a violent man. He did not murder anybody and he did not steal. Yet he would have been unavoidably in close contact with different people. He was an everyday Albertan with addiction issues. Does he deserve to be left as an afterthought to die? I don't think so. 
that from Danielle. That's interesting food for thought. That's an interesting approach to something. Now, we recognize, like, when there, when there are thousands of people, there's about a thousand watching live right now, probably about the same amount listening live on Mixler. We're going to have several thousand that are going to watch the clips on Twitter. Probably, if, you know, the story, if it goes according to how it typically goes, about 30,000 in a day. Comparable number will download the podcast. The point is tens of thousands of Canadians are listening to the stories that we're covering every single day. Is everybody coming from the same background? Does everybody have the same life experience? Does everybody have the same family structure? Does everybody have the same things that haunt them or encourage them? Obviously not. And feedback like this, uh, including that email from Danielle, is really remarkable in the sense that it shines some light onto us on your perspectives and where you're coming from. Incredibly valuable stuff. We're going to be talking about blood supply in Canada. How much do you know about this and why has this been such an issue in Alberta as of late? Did you know the laws changed? Did you know that things are in flux around us? Sometimes it's tough to stay on top of the other news items with so much going on. We're going to get to that in just a second. Very quickly, wanted to talk to you about local waste. You know, local waste sponsors trash talk every single week here. This is your chance to get things off your chest. You can text in your rant, something you just gotta you just gotta unload, unleash to talk at RyanJesperson.com and we'll read them later this week. Local Waste is an independent organization run by local families taking on the big multinational garbage corporations, which means they can give you better service at a better price. And you can call them and refer to them by their first name. You can call the owner right now, Chris or Lauren Labas here at 780-242-9746. So whether you're a small retail outlet or whether you're a massive grocery store or a big mall, they're looking for your business. They'd love to talk trash with you. Just check out localwaste.ca. All right, let's get to our next guest. Uh, Kat and I have had an opportunity to connect on previous broadcasts, on previous radio shows, and I know that she's very passionate about what she does as an advocate for public health and the co-founder of bloodwatch.org. Kat Lantang, welcome to Real Talk, and thanks for making time for us on this Monday morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, Kat, in in past interviews that that we've done, what I've always appreciated uh, about you is your ability to take things that can we can kind of get into the weeds on legislation. And a lot of times people, civilians, aren't really familiar with policy when it comes to how blood donations are are procured and distributed and managed in Canada, uh, let alone staying on top of items as they develop in the news. Maybe sometimes... That's what lawmakers are banking on. Uh, We should be talking about this more in Alberta right now. And I know you and the team at bloodwatch.org have been keeping an eye on changes. Can you bring us up to speed on exactly what's going on in Alberta right now? So what happened was that the current government repealed a law that was called the Voluntary Blood Donations Act that the um, uh, previous government had passed in, um, in March of 2017. Uh, after a lot of advocacy by our organization and others to pass it, Ontario had passed the law previously a couple years before, unanimously by all parties. What the law does, it's called the Voluntary Blood Donations Act, and it secures the blood supply chain in Canada. So it um, enshrines into law that blood and plasma and blood components are a public resource meant to be used for the common good right, for for patients across the country, and that they are managed under Canadian blood services. Why the law is so important is because private blood brokers who are trying to move in and set up 
uh, private plasma collection centers. And in Ontario, they were set up beside a homeless shelter, um, a methadone clinic in Hamilton, close to a methadone clinic in Hamilton. Um, and so these facilities usually set up in places where there is a very large vulnerable population um, where people are desperate for money and then they go in and they sell their plasma to make money. Then the companies take that plasma and they export it out of the country and they sell it at a for a profit. So the, uh, the, the companies operate in Canada. They actually don't help our blood supply. They don't contribute to plasma drugs um, that are made. So they were really important laws for us to pass because unfortunately the um, federal government and some of the other provinces were considering um, undermining the Creever Commission, which came out of the tainted blood tragedy, which outlined that we should have a voluntary blood system operated under one national blood operator to ensure a safe, sustainable supply. So we had that law passed, which was incredibly joyous. I wasn't actually even here when they passed it in Alberta. We, my husband and I were in um, Zambia adopting our son, but the government did follow through uh, and the law was passed. Unfortunately, the current government, uh, uh, an MLA named Tani Yao, sponsored a private member's bill to repeal the entire law. So, so this is a law that's very complex and it's pages long. And he, they just dumped the whole bill. And he made the argument that what the bill would do by repealing it was to secure more blood and plasma for uh, people in Alberta. It actually does the opposite. It actually ensures that uh, plasma that we need for patients here will now be exported out of Alberta for a profit. And so there was huge opposition to the bill um, the head of Canadian Blood Services, Dr. Graham Sure, testified at committee and pleaded with the government not to do it, made it clear that there are no protections in place now in Alberta uh, to stop the export of that plasma because Health Canada can't do it either um, because they choose not to. And so um, it was extremely unfortunate. But was, what was the most troubling part about the repeal of the bill was that the argument was based on a lie that it was going to help patients in Alberta. The other issue that became very problematic, which I can tell you we haven't experienced ever before, was the politicization about repealing the bill. So it, it there was a lot of rhetoric around, you know, anybody that supported the, you know, that didn't want the bill to be passed was, you know, in cahoots with the unions. Mr. Yao made bizarre comments to the Fort McMurray paper about um, that, um, people who advocated for voluntary blood donation were secretly trying to um, uh, make the scenario so that uh, organs could be harvested without the consent of Canadians one day. What? And it just became very bizarre and very absurd. And in the debates that were in the legislature, there was a lot of personal attacks on our organization um, on me personally, which was really disturbing because even though I'm volunteering right now as a co-founder for Blood Watch, we represent tainted blood survivors So, um, and people who use plasma-derived drugs. So we represent people who are HIV positive, who have hepatitis C, and that happened to them because of deregulation um, in the blood system during the tainted blood crisis. So it was hurtful um, and really troubling that that had happened. And we have 
all we want is for the law to be reinstated um, by either this government or the next one so we can protect the blood supply. There really is no ulterior motive happening right now. And um, so so in a nutshell, that's what's happened. First of all, thank you for the synopsis. Um, I, uh, I I can I, I kind of I think I'm picking up on on a bit of a. I picked up on a little bit of emotion in your voice there when you you started like it, it it sounds to me like there's a little bit of exasperation here. You talk about personal attacks that you faced. I mean, what what are we talking about here? Well, um, it, it just was I, we haven't experienced it before. I mean, when you're debating policy, we believe that you just debate the policy and that you stick to the facts. So you stick to, you know, the big question is, will this help? the blood supply with this, will this secure more plasma drugs and end our dependence on the United States uh, supply chain because we import way too many uh, plasma derived drugs from the U S and they are essentially tapped out. So Europe is uh, upping their voluntary system. Canadian blood services is opening another plasma center in Lethbridge in Alberta, and they're launching a mass plasma collection strategy. So that's how we work. What, and we, we, we say the same thing to every government and every MLA or MPP or MP or senator across the country. And we take a firm stance. Uh, the people that we represent lost a lot. These are families that literally buried their kids. And when I um, toured Alberta to support the law, I met a lot of the families there. Uh, they were very impassioned. Um, they really feel that repealing these bills or mocking everything that they lost to get us a safe blood system denigrates, you know, the loss of their family members and everything that they went through. If you compare it to today, it would be like denigrating or making fun of COVID survivors or, you know, family that had lost um, uh, people during this pandemic. You know, they lost people through the previous AIDS pandemic. What was different about this dynamic was... Oh, I'm going to forget her name. I think it's Michelle Glasgow, Glasgow, Michaela Glasgow, the MLA, Ma- Michaela of, Glasgow, yeah, Southern Alberta. Yeah. Um, as we were tracking it, all this stuff was being said in the legislature about our organization that was wholly untrue. And, and I found that to be deeply unfair because we're, you know, we're not in the legislature. So we only have a platform, you know, really through formal processes, through emailing or writing the government or through the media and we never got to consult with either Minister Shandro, which was bizarre because if this was really a, something that was going to be a positive you know, venture for people of Alberta, it should have been a health minister bill. It should have been a government bill, but it wasn't. It was a private member's bill. And so there was all these personal attacks and essentially making the argument that we weren't who we say we are, You know that we were trying to mislead the public. Um, and then all this hysterical sort of this rhetoric and how that lands for the people that we represent is extremely upsetting. I mean, it's just it freezes them in in a lot of the grief and pain that people are experiencing now living through COVID. They live through that through the AIDS crisis. We've lost people um, that were advocates. I'm sorry. We've lost people who are advocates with us in Bloodwatch and the, and the work that we did over the past eight years, you know, that they either su- that have succumbed to being um, with complications of having AIDS long-term um, people are tired. So when I, when I hear those things and I, and I see that they freely use their power um, to do that, I do find that personally very upsetting, but more so, 
what is extremely um, troubling is that we're in the middle of a pandemic and we need whole blood donors and we need plasma donors to go to Canadian blood services. So every single person who is donating blood today during a pandemic, leaving their house, you know, going to a clinic, I mean, they're doing their best to keep people safe. And they, I mean, these people are our heroes and they're keeping people alive, like people who have cancer, people who have autoimmune diseases, um, you know, people, there's so many uses for blood and plasma and it's so important to, so to take advantage of the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic where there's a lot of noise happening to repeal this law that actually protects people and protects patients in Alberta and protects the supply chain, which is really what this is about. It's protecting that supply chain because voluntary blood donation means that when it's a public resources, we own it as a country, right? We own it. So Canadian Blood Services safeguards that for patients here first. And that is what is so critical. And um, so it's just been really d- deeply disappointing. And I'm, and I'm very troubled that Mr. Kenny, who fundamentally knows um, better, given his experience as an MP, um, and his long political career has chosen to shut us down and has not taken action to reinstate this bill, which we know would have huge support from, um, you know, the the other party uh, in Alberta. This should not be political at all. This should never, politics should never touch blood. It did it once and it killed 8,000 people. So yeah, uh, politics you know, still touches are, blood, doesn't it, Kat? I mean, politics still does. I mean, uh, like I have w- down, way down, not way down. Uh, I don't want to send the wrong message, but down my list of things I want to talk to you about today. I want to like it, my understanding is that, you know, for example, gay men in Canada are still banned from donating blood. Right. So, I mean, we, we there's been a lack of political courage, I think, uh, in a lot of areas. And I don't know if that's more health policy than politics. You can correct me on that. Um, but politics has always been a part of this, hasn't it? Um, it has. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be, unfortunately. Um, and uh, but I think that uh, I, I mean, you're right. It does. And, and we advocate that it shouldn't. I mean, we fundamentally believe in science and good policy. Count, why do you uh, you know, you're a you're by trade, you're a producer and a playwright and an actor. Uh, you're in the creative arts. Um, I, I had this assignment editor early in my career. Uh, his name was Randy, just a beauty. And the first time he asked me this question, I thought he was being a bit of a jerk until I realized he wasn't at all. When I when I pitched, I would pitch a story to him in the morning at the assignment meeting and he would go, why do we care? And I would go, whoa, you know, and, and he'd go, no, like that's the hook. Like that, that's the it's the best advice I ever got in, in storytelling is you could, why, why why do your viewers, why does your audience care? And we got it. Once you find out why the audience cares, then you can best tell the story. Why do you care? Like, why are you what was there a personal experience? Why? Why are you so passionate about this? Well, my uncle died of AIDS. Um, he did not get a blood transfusion. Um, so I was a, I know the pain that a family goes through um, and that families went through by losing a family member during, you know, because of HIV and, and AIDS. That was one thing. Um, my godmother's sister was um, impacted because of tainted blood. She was married to a hemophiliac. And that story really impacted my mom, um, who's sadly not with us anymore either, um, and my godmother. And that, so I was young. I was a teenager, but it was a profoundly life-changing experience. So when I wrote a play called Tainted, which is about the tainted blood crisis, I met 
a lot of family members who had endured um, the tainted blood crisis. And it just so happened that at the time that the play was being staged in Toronto, these private paid plasma clinics or collection sites were popping up. So we worked with the family members um, and many other advocates that had come forward um, and advocated to the government to stop them and pass this law, which is how Bloodwatch was formed. So it was quite beautiful because it just all was very organic and it happened with those families. Um, you know, when we celebrated the law being passed, it was a quite a sad celebration because you're sort of sitting in this room raising a glass to toast, but you're in a wreckage, you know, you're post, you're, you know, two decades of a post pandemic and everybody's remembering the losses and the, and the hope for all of those people was, well, we did this, this was one good thing. And now we can believe that it will never happen again because we've put all these policy in place to protect future generations. And, and then of course they moved to Saskatchewan and set up. And I had a conversation with my husband and I said, I, I don't know what to do. I, I mean, we're either going to dive in all the way or we're going to walk away. And we made the choice to dive in all the way because it was just too important. Catlan hmm. Tang is our guest. Um, Megan is watching live this morning, says maybe if Canadian blood services would allow gay men to donate the same way they allow cis people, uh, we'd have an increase in donations. Um, the watcher says the day they're willing to take my gay blood without unreasonable conditions, they can have it. Uh, you know, uh, Brandon says after being turned away to donate blood because I'm bisexual, it was super embarrassing. I would love to donate. Uh, Ray is watching this morning. Ray and I are actually in the same boat. Um, I attended a, a college in England uh, in 1995-96. And uh, Kat, you know exactly what I'm about to say. I haven't been able to donate blood since. Um, Ray says I lived in the UK for six months in 94-95. Um, and I can't donate because of concerns of, of Jacob Kreitzfeld. Uh, however, Alberta's had cases of mad cow disease as well. Why is that restriction not being reviewed? Um yeah, I mean, there's there's so many storylines here to follow, aren't there? I mean, really, this is wild. I, I think that there's going to be a recurring question, and it's different, and you'll know way more about this than I do, uh, Kat, but, you know, with regards to being paid to donate blood or plasma, and, and there are some listeners, some viewers right now this morning, maybe asking for some clarification on donating blood, blood versus plasma, um, if you can yep. tee that up. Um, but, but why is it, let me ask this in, in open-minded fashion, what's so bad about paying people for blood donations like you know i mean if, if somebody's down on their luck they've lost their job and they can get 30 bucks to you know buy sandwiches for the kids today or whatever what's what's so bad about that so there's two things that are really important to clarify being paid to sell your plasma means that a private company is taking that plasma and they're selling it out of Canada. So it doesn't, so those, so the first thing to understand is that that does not help any fellow Canadian. And so it depletes our domestic supply chain. The there's three things. Secondly, it is a scientific fact that when people sell their plasma, there's often a higher infection rate with bloodborne pathogens because when people are vulnerable or in a vulnerable circumstances, often they, um, will not be as honest on their, um, you know, the, when they're answering the questions, when they go in to um, sell their plasma. That has recently been proven in the Czech Republic where they have a lot of these paid plasma facilities and the infection rates in hepatitis C are very high. Now, we have a test for hepatitis C and we can also um, kill the virus if it were to make it through. 
The problem is, is that if you have a new bloodborne virus like HIV and hepatitis C were at the time, you can't catch them. So the safest way to collect plasma is through a voluntary blood donation. When you are being taken care of through a national system, which is integrated within our healthcare system, it protects the um, end product, it protects the donor who's donating, and that is really, really critical. Um, and the third part of it is that um, we do have to ask the ethical question of, is that what people are worth? Is that the option that we're giving people that when they're at a desperate time in their life, instead of creating jobs, that they are then forced to go and sell um, their body parts for money. And often those populations are um, people who are extremely vulnerable. In the United States, um, it's a disproportionate uh, amount of um, uh, black people, particularly black men, who are um, forced to sell uh, their plasma out of desperation. And that has multi-leveled consequences, which go back to the two answers before. Kat, if you like with regards to this is this is a story out of Alberta, obviously of significance to a, a large uh, number of the people that are tuned in right now and that are going to listen to this podcast later across the country right now. Uh, are you are you in Ottawa right now? We talked to you in Ottawa. Is that right? I'm in Toronto, in Toronto. Um, what are what are a couple of the big stories nationally that we should be keeping an eye on, whether it's something the federal government's looking at, whether it's I mean, these are the types of stories like you alluded to, especially during a pandemic. I mean, it's blowing my mind as you as you said that you said, especially during a pandemic, we need the blood. We need this. And I'm thinking Alberta's changing up its its blood donation policy. Alberta's completely changing its its 911 call center. I don't expect you to know much about that, Kat. We talked about that in in the middle of a pandemic, changing the 911 call centers. Uh, Fort McMurray's fire chief. I'm checking my email right now. His people have just reached out. He wants to come on the show. They're very concerned about this. All of this happening in the middle of a pandemic, which, number one, is extremely concerning. Number two, though, it goes to show that, you know, politicians never waste a good scandal. Right. You, You gain as much ground as you possibly can, maybe while the public's not paying attention. What would qualify under that umbrella on the national scene? Um. Like you mean them, like in terms of blood, or with regards to with regards to your your advocacy stories that you're following. What's what's something that we should be aware of that is not this story, but it's something else that you're working on or keeping an eye on. Well, I mean, we've also advocated for. Um, uh, I mean, we we've been watching because Canadian Blood Services has to work overtime now during the pandemic because so many people get deferred because of COVID exposure or possible COVID exposure or just fatigue, you know, because they don't have time to go because they're overworked, um, you know, and all of these challenges are being prevented for COVID. Um, so that is a that's a really big thing for us because when Dr. Graham Sure, who's the head of Canadian Blood Services pleaded with the with the current government in Alberta not to repeal this law. He also told them that two of the biggest um, blood donation centers in um, America have also sounded the alarm about uh, depleting the whole blood supply, right? So one of the reasons why you can never pay somebody to um, sell whole blood is because you don't have extra mechanisms to safeguard them if a new bloodborne virus gets through, like at all. So um uh they he said they're telling they're saying in the states they have grave concerns about the supply chain 
And, you know, this is that's a business issue, right? The a supply chain issue was is a business model and the current government still ignored it. The other issue is the fact that this current um, three month deferral, it's a blanket deferral on men who have sex with men. Um, really, it's a gay blood ban, let's be honest, um, has no real place. You know, it's this idea that here's the reality. Gay men are not a threat to the blood system. Yeah. Okay, like trans people are not the threat to the blood system. That is not, they are not a threat. What, what Canadian Blood Services looks at is groups that are considered high risk. But the reality is, is that there are other groups that are sh- demographically showing, you know, um, higher rates of uh, HIV, let's say, who are HIV positive. So the best way to um, defer people is by behavior based, right? So if somebody has, uh, multiple partners and they're practicing unsafe sex, uh, that would be a high risk behavior to, you know, to be a donor. So you could defer that person individually and say, okay, come back in three months and, and we'll see. But there really is no, you know, and you do have to have uh, an opportunity to create a blank blanket ban like they do with you or people that have lived in the UK because of CJD and Mad Cow, because there's nothing you can do to get that out of the blood supply. Nothing works even for fractionation, even for plasma drugs. So the only way to safeguard it is to defer people. But I've been in Europe um, uh, you know, at uh, the EU level in meetings with all those doctors. Italy has, you know, um, had the that blanket ban lifted for uh, over, almost a, over a decade now, and they have no issues with HIV entering the blood supply. Um, and so that is it actually a really good model because behavior-based um, deferrals help you look at um, everyone and can create an even safer environment. So we, that is our position. We have maintained that position to the federal government and to Canadian Blood Services. We do not oppose lifting the blanket ban on MSM donors. That is another thing that we're tracking right now. Cat, why, and then the other thing, of course, is, is chronic wasting disease. Is, is there, do you, can you sum that up in a couple sentences? Well, we are looking at chronic wasting disease because it um, is a prion disease. Um, which is similar to mad cow, which is found in cervids and it's rampant in Alberta and in Saskatchewan. Um, They have not found any evidence yet that CWD has impacted a human. And, um, but a study came out to in 2017 that was co-funded by the Canadian government um, with scientists out of Alberta demonstrating that macaque monkeys had become um, positive with chronic wasting disease after eating the equivalent of a steak a month. Ah. And so we are tracking and watching that. We're working with um, the Center of Diseases out of uh, um, Minnesota, um, along with scientists all over the world, because we do not want that to ever make it into, you know, to, 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 to cross the species barrier, you know, into humans yeah. like Mad Cow did, because that would be devastating for our blood supply. Kat, uh, I've got some comments here I want to put in front of you. Uh, Greg, It's this is an interesting uh, comment from Greg who says, I feel great after donating blood. I feel like I've saved a life. I don't think I would feel the same way if I sold it, um, which is which is interesting. Uh, this is heartbreaking from Terry. Uh, she says, our family has always donated blood when we're when we've been able. Um, Terry says, but a year ago, I lost our one year old after a liver transplant uh so sorry terry uh, our condolences to your family she says it made me even more aware of the need for blood products 
Jack says, you know, there are actually health benefits to donating blood. He wonders if your guest can list them. Um, I know you're not here from Canadian Blood Services, Kat, but do you have do you have a, a list of health benefits from donating blood? I mean, aside from probably a feeling of altruism, what is, are there some? Well, there are actually, because of course, when you donate your blood or your plasma, it's tested, right? So they, so if there's anything comes up in your blood that's of a concern, they call you, Canadian Blood Services call you, and then you were then, and then you can go and they say, oh, you need to go see your doctor for X, Y, and Z. I mean, that's like, I mean, that's the benefits of having an integrated, you know, blood system that is that is totally connected with the Canadian healthcare system, and um, and so that's you know. That's amazing. And the reality is we need one another to live. We just do. And COVID has amplified that um, across the country and around the world. And so by donating blood and plasma, you're literally saving a Canadian life, multiple lives every time you do it. I, I It's just so profoundly important. And so... Um, I, I don't know why anybody and I don't know why a current government wouldn't want to encourage that because you can't have both. You know, this idea that you can have a private system and a public system, it doesn't work because eventually the, a crowding effect happens. So you draw away donors from the voluntary system because they know they can go and make X amount of dollars at that place a month. Kat, is and, there then a, they, and then you lose donors. Is there an existing black? I mean, maybe it's a dumb question because you go, well, how am I supposed to know? But I'm, I feel like if anybody knows, you're going to know. Is there a black market for blood and plasma like in Canada Are Canadians tapping into a black market? No, we're not tapping into a black market here, but what we've been tracking around the world is that because the convalescent plasma that they're trying to acquire now from COVID survivors to use, you know, to use the antibodies and people who are who are sick with COVID, um, they don't they don't know exactly how good the treatment works or not, but it's an emergency treatment. Because of that, what we're seeing is in other countries around the world that their uh, black markets are emerging for that convalescent plasma. So that's what happened with the plasma product, it, very similar trends um, in, during the tainted blood crisis. So it sort of happens in other countries first and countries that in, in, endure a lot of poverty. Okay, that's awesome. And, and and then it and then yeah, but so far, so far no. <laughs> Please no. Uh, hey, hey, can I ask you a technical question that has nothing to do with anything, but Sam and I are trying to problem solve something here? Could you just hear me talking when I thought my mic was killed? Could you hear me saying to Sam that we're gonna go to the news after this? I could. Ah I could, yeah. Okay. Well thank you. This makes sense. This makes sense why our guests have, have gazed off into the into the sky as we've been talking. Hey Kat, listen, you've you've been providing some clarity for us here. Uh, you've been helping us understand something. Where I think there's a lack of understanding, myself included. I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing. Uh, if you're just tuning in right now and you've been uh, streaming us live on Mixler on audio, you're wondering who you've been hearing from. Catlan Tang is the co-founder of bloodwatch.org. That's where you can learn more about what they do. It's a nonprofit advocacy organization uh, founded by tainted blood survivors to ensure that Canada maintains a voluntary safe blood system. She's the expert on this legislation because Cat helped to ensure that three laws were passed, including the one we were talking about in Ontario, BC and Alberta, the Voluntary Blood Donations Act which safeguards blood and plasma from being exported out of Canada by for-profit blood brokers. Uh, Kat, thank you for this. Thanks for your availability. And thank you for, for putting this in, in terms that all of us can understand. We appreciate it. 
Okay, thank you. Best of luck and stay safe. Yeah, you as well. If you'd like to follow up with Kat about what you've just been hearing here, you want to give her a follow on Twitter uh, from my Twitter account each and every morning, as well as on my Instagram story, by the way. Uh, We send out the handles of our guests so you can connect with them after the show if, if you have questions to follow up. We're grateful that we're able to do interviews like this and bring you this live broadcast every morning. Thanks to our Real Talk builders, and that includes the team at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Uh, These guys are so geared up and so excited to be part of what we're building here and it's because of what you're telling them real talkers you're showing up at these six dairy queens and you're letting them know that you're there because they support real talk so if you're swinging by palisades nemeo newcastle westmount y gardens or baseline road make sure you let them know that you're a real talker if you do that they're going to give you one box of six dilly bars full price and one box completely free that's right real talkers a two for one on boxes of dilly bars and the dilly bar has gone dairy free as an option so make sure to check that out we're also grateful for the support of the team at westworld computers for more than 40 years they've been serving western canadians british columbia and alberta including right here in our home city of edmonton just off mayfield road whether it's sales or service that you're looking for whether it's for your residential reality or a big commercial creation venture talk to daryl and his team at westworld computers and they'll get you all set up just like they've done for us here in the real talk studio and a big shout out to the team at park power this morning park power joined us as a real talk builder because they liked the local angle they liked the grassroots element of this audience that's growing and growing and growing because it fits what they've been doing since 2013 as well they're in the electricity natural gas and internet game you know you got to get yours from somewhere why not get it from park power they're proud to support nonprofits in the communities they serve a 10 percent profit sharing agreement plus if you use the promo code 2021 real talk 2021 dash real talk you're going to receive 70 dollars off your first bill 2021 dash real talk at parkpower.ca sam let's take a look at the news headlines today Well, there's a big story brewing in Alberta, uh, thanks to the good work of the team at The Breakdown Podcast. You can follow them on all their social platforms at The Breakdown AB. Uh, Their freedom of information request has given them what they call the smoking gun to prove that the education ministry, spearheaded by education minister Adriana Lagrange, meddled in the mask procurement process, insisting that a mask manufacturer in Red Deer, that's uh, MLA or Minister Lagrange's home city, and of course the city of her riding, uh, a company owned by a donor to her campaign receive a contract to provide masks despite the fact that they weren't on the list of the Provincial Operations Center, despite the fact they weren't the cheapest masks, And despite the fact that she ultimately, the minister did, told the ethics commissioner upon investigation that she had nothing to do with it. Well, emails show otherwise. This is another problem for this government that's already experiencing trust problems. If you'd like to see the full story, the one that host Nate Pike calls cronyism, corruption, and the breaking of Albertans' trust, you can follow the breakdown online at the breakdown AB. You can find him on Twitter. Uh, The Speaker of the House in Alberta, Nathan Cooper, this reported by Jason Herring of the Calgary Herald, in an email to a constituent 
calling the international travel scandal a great embarrassment to the government. The Speaker of the Alberta Legislature went on to say this is a great embarrassment to especially Premier Jason Kenney, who chose not to sanction these senior officials and staff members until he was prompted to do so by widespread public outrage. The quote continues this email to a constituent in Olds, Didsbury, Three Hills. The hypocrisy of this scandal has clearly undermined this government's moral authority. And while these senior officials have now been sanctioned, the government faces an uphill battle in rebuilding the public trust that's been lost. And we're going to get into our Y Station question of the week results again in just a moment. Uh, Downstate side House Democrats this morning formally unveiling a resolution to impeach Donald Trump, charging him with incitement of insurrection for his role in last week's riots at the U.S. Capitol. That was on January 6th. Trump will become the first president to be impeached twice. And the 2022 PGA Championship will not be played, by the way, at Donald Trump's National Golf Club in Bedminster, New Jersey, announcing last night PGA of America President Jim Richardson. It's become clear that conducting the championship at Trump Bedminster would be detrimental to the PGA of America brand. I wanted to clarify something earlier that was mentioned. Uh, Several of you had had pointed out. Oh, and by the way, Kyle's watching and he says, no wonder that Tani Yao needed to hide in Mexico. The MLA out of Fort McMurray says that plasma bill is absolutely criminal. Our thanks to Catlan Tang for joining us. Um, So it turns out that that uh, it looks like conservative leader Aaron O'Toole did not uh, did not do an interview with Rebel Media, by the way, as 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 promoted by uh, by the great charlatan, the ringmaster that is the owner and proprietor of is, is that a fair I thought it was being I thought it was actually being pretty nice calling him that but but Ezra Levant I think, cl- I think calling Ezra Levant like anything remotely colloquial is being nice to yeah. him so, so he's, he's, he's claiming that he had they're, they're claiming they have an exclusive interview with Aaron O'Toole the leader of Canada's conservatives and it turns out that they sent his press team a list of questions and they responded by way of email and now they're portraying here's the thing that's a that's a poisonous association in my mind right now uh conservative politicians and you could say well what about politicians on the left i'm trying to think of an equivalent group um and i'm sure that there are groups out there but but you'd have to you 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 take a group of of like kind of like if, if you take a, a Venn diagram, you know, like where the circles overlap, like this many people, you know, did not go trick or treating and this many people did not have their family Christmas. And then the overlap are people that did not do either. And then that's, you know, how the Venn diagram works. If you looked at like rebel media consumers and people who think that storming the Capitol on January 6th was an was an act of patriotism, the Venn diagram would be like a circle. It would be like this. So that gives you a sense of what that audience is like and what they're all about. So for a conservative, for federal conservative, for any conservative politician right now to be hobnobbing with them, I would suggest would would be a pretty clear statement to the people of Canada about where they're attempting to grow their base or where they're attempting to glean their support. But it turns out Aaron O'Toole did not sit down with Rebel Media. So I appreciate the clarification. You know, when we're flying live here on the air from you know, 830 to whenever, 830 to around 1030. Sometimes we'll rely on you. We fact check as best we can. But as news develops, we appreciate uh, what you're able to do with regards to clarifying some things for us online. Judy says, OK, whether or not Aaron O'Toole has or hasn't, you know, I mean, she says, name one conservative politician from Alberta who hasn't done interviews with rebel media. I mean, there'd be a lot. There'd be a lot that haven't and there'd be a lot that have. Uh, but this is uh, basically um, 
what's everybody talking about? You're going to find out something here. I got to see something here live because I see a bunch of you were chiming in on this. And typically I haven't uh, mentioned this person because for obvious reasons, considering my previous employment. But what's going on with Danielle Smith? I can't ignore this. So I'm going to be seeing this for the first time here live. Have you seen anything? Have you seen anything? Do you know what? I, I I haven't confirmed anything. I've seen some chatter on our on our Twitter like, chat. Did she? But okay. I haven't actually seen anything confirmed. Okay. Oh, here we go. Nope. There is a tweet she's from leaving? her himself. Uh, she's leaving um, Chorus Radio on February nineteenth. Okay. Yeah. Um. Oh, there you go. Uh, leaving Chorus Radio and Twitter on February nineteenth. Um, for for parlor, okay. I assume. Well. Hey. <laughs> Is it parlor or parlay? So I actually have some insight on this because uh, because my, my my partner was very curious about this and she looked a little bit into the history. Okay, of let's it. tee up what, what it, it is was, for people that aren't familiar with what it is. Okay. It's, it's kind of like a far right wing messaging platform. Yeah, right? and their, their whole ethos is like free speech at all cost, right? So like you can say anything on this and all conversations are welcome and... Um, from what I understand, it was launched to be parlay because it's spelled P-A-R-L-E-R. Yeah, the like French the verb French word for speak. To speak. Right? Yeah. And uh, people just started pronouncing it parlor and it just kind of get dragged into being referred to as parlor. So that is now the. OK, so now, know, now now it's now it is officially parlor. It is parlor. From what I understand. OK, it's like it's like uh, I'm trying to think of an example like, well, Cat uh, Lantang that just joined us. I said to her. <laughs> messaging her before the interview i said so i said is it lang tang and she goes no it's french she says it's lang tang if you're in alberta she says or western Canada, you can just say lang tang um but it, yeah so okay so parlay has become parlor so so the story here is is what you you fear i mean this is pure speculation where we don't have to talk about daniel smith in particular um i wish daniel well personally i have no personal problem with daniel people people always kind of like turned it into a jesperson versus daniel smith thing um we obviously come from, come at uh, many different political issues uh, from very different angles and we have different opinions on things but always uh, got along with her perfectly fine and 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 i think did some compelling content together i was gonna so, say like that doesn't mean you can't be productive colleagues yeah and it right? wasn't and it wasn't yeah. danielle's fault that i got fired yeah. uh, danielle had nothing to do with me getting fired and uh and quite frankly i'm thrilled i got fired because we wouldn't be here we wouldn't be gathering in community here today and we wouldn't be building this company and we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. So it's probably the best thing that ever happened. No, it is the best thing that ever happened to me. She had nothing to do with it. Um, but now that she's leaving, this will obviously, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but um, Chorus Radio is now as of February 19th. And I would imagine that she probably didn't drop this bombshell without talking to them first, but they've now, you know, they'll be now within a month, within five weeks from now, uh, unless they've lined someone up already without a flagship the time slot in talk radio is nine to noon that's the flagship time slot um without a host province-wide so you know who do they go get maybe they go get you know maybe they bring back dave rutherford who knows uh, all i know is for the six years i was there people didn't stop messaging about dave rutherford so maybe they'll bring dave rutherford back and and he can you know do what he did do what he did for many years anna writes in Anna says, I, I love the show, but I was disappointed in Friday's show. And I went, what? Like, I thought Friday's show was really good, you know? And so I'm reading it. And so I read on and Anna's email caught my attention. And, and she says there was too much stuff about this situation in the United States. That was her criticism. Now, keep in mind, it, it was it was one of the most monumental days in American history, I think, uh, on on the 6th. And and so we our, our coverage, of course, following that reflected the fact that the entire world was captivated and appalled 
for the most part, uh, by what was going on stateside with our American neighbors, right? Yeah, I think that um, to to court uh, uh, Trudeau Sr., the former prime minister, being next to the U.S. is like being in bed with an elephant. And I think that that is... Um, <laughs> when it rolls over your... Yeah, well, and I think that like the media cycle is so much like that. Like you just, it, it's so, I mean, it's hard to be a citizen of the world period and not get sucked into the U.S. news cycle. But certainly being in the country right next door, like it, it's just, it doesn't matter, but it matters. And I'd love to just cover Canadian news, but this was the biggest well, story on whatever the happens, planet. Well, what happens in the you know? U.S. affects yeah. us, you know. I mean, there, there are so many angles we haven't we're going to start talking about what a Biden pres- presidency means for Canada and for Alberta and for the energy industry. And obviously, we're going to have a lot of conversations about things like this. Uh, and, we, and we've got some interview requests in already with some of, I think, the, the most uh, uh, foremost voices. And I think some of the, the, the bigger voices of authority when it comes to energy policy in the United States on this. You know, people wonder, for example, is Biden going to live up to his promise to cancel the Keystone XL pipeline. That's a big one. You'll remember that the provincial government here in Alberta put a whole bunch of dough into the the wager, the bet, I think. And, and if you have another way of, of presenting or portraying or interpreting this, I would love to hear it. Uh, but essentially, the Alberta government bet on a second term for Donald Trump, uh, investing a billion and a half dollars, uh, which could be gone, uh, in the KXL pipeline and, and writing down loan guarantees or, or rather making loan guarantees for another six to seven billion dollars. Now, that may not be Alberta's liability ultimately when we look back on this. But even if it's a billion and a half dollars, that's a bad bet. That's a really bad bet, a billion and a half dollars. So we'll see what happens with that pipeline. I've seen some experts say Biden's not canceling Keystone XL. Don't get me wrong. Me personally, Ryan Jesperson, I hope they build Keystone XL. I hope that they get I, I hope that they get, obviously, uh, these pipeline projects that are so integral uh, to Alberta's energy industry. It's important we get them built. That's the position of this show. That's my personal position. I'm not hoping to see Keystone killed. But if it is, that's bad news for Alberta in more ways than one. It's a financial liability, generally speaking, based on the loss of access, et cetera, et cetera, what it means to the market. It's a it's a it's made it's made worse. It's salt in the wound with the money that Alberta would lose. Back to Anna's email. She says too much stuff about the situation in the States. We need you to focus on our teachers. She's right. We need and, and back to school today. Right. What Some of you are probably right now enjoying your third coffee for the first time in like how long. Right. You're like just grateful you get like a minute. This is maybe for some of you the first time you've, you've been hearing about real talk. But your, your, your little kiddos who you love dearly have been running around the house keeping you busy. You haven't had time to watch. Maybe you're here for the first day today. She says and it says focus on the vaccine, Ryan. Focus on our provincial situation. We do. She says, what can we do to help our frontline workers? Think of the rural citizens of our province and keep up the good work. That from Anna. I love it. We want to hear from I mean, that's the that's the exact type of email that we want to receive. This one from Chris. Chris says, I listen to the podcast daily. Says, I'm writing to ask if you've heard that our ambulance personnel are not being considered to be among the front of the line to receive this COVID-19 vaccine. He says, my girlfriend's an EMT in Edmonton. Uh, She's going into homes that are COVID positive on a regular basis. And she says, oftentimes, Chris says, the callers do not warn dispatch uh, vis-a-vis. She is not warned that these are COVID positive occupants. What sense does it make to not have EMT workers not considered among frontline workers to receive the vaccine? Right. That's another great point. You are putting things on our radar, which we greatly appreciate. Really greatly appreciate it. Okay. 
Now, we've been looking forward to this for a while. This is coming up in just a second. Uh, Before we get into this, this is a new feature, and we're excited to roll it out here on Real Talk. I wanted to let you know how grateful we are to have the support of the team at Alta Moving in Storage. Now, I know many of you, you're 2021, whether or not you want to call it a New Year's resolution, it's what it is. We are one of these households. We've had enough of the clutter. And you're going, Ryan, I've heard you say this before. I know, but I'm I'm serious this time. I'm serious. It's time to it's time to get rid of so many things that's so intimidating. You take a look at this and we've got things that are destined for the recycling bin. We've got things that are destined for donations and we've got things that are destined for storage. We don't have the storage solution we need at Alta Moving and Storage. They have short and long term storage solutions that can custom fit your circumstance. Now, if what you're doing also involves basically a big trip to the dump. I mean, if you're talking about everything from old furniture that can't be upcycled or you're going through maybe grandma or grandpa's place and you're doing it with a shovel because there's so much to deal with, these pod style containers are perfect. You can get them all checked out and check out what they do on a local front, making sure you have the support you need under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. The same goes for Eden Landscaping. They're using Google Maps and Zoom to help you plan your dream project. We talked to Mike who runs the place. He says he's had so many Zoom meetings working with couples that disagree on what their beautiful dream backyard should look like. He, He figures he could double as a marriage counselor. If you want to take him up on his offer and see if he's any good at Well, I know he's good at landscaping and landscape design. I can't attribute any sort of marital advice to him at this point, but we'll see. You can check him out online. You can also just follow the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. And that's also where you'll find Kubi Energy. They're locally owned and operated with employees, certified electricians installing solar systems across Alberta and British Columbia. They take care of 100% of the process when installing solar systems from permitting to government grants. The process is completely taken care of. Kubi Energy is a Tesla certified installer. They're the ones that did that amazing project at the Edmonton Convention Center. You can check them out online at kubienergy.ca. Isn't that the coolest? It's just it like it's solar panels and it's also an art piece. We're going to get Jake on from Kubi Energy. We'll get him on at some point and he'll tell us because there's like that sort of we were joking about the Illuminati. Uh, There's like this really cool, neat messaging on the solar. Like next time you're out for a walk in the River Valley, if you're in Edmonton or even check it out online, you can see photos of it. Uh, Pay close attention to the solar panels on the Edmonton Convention Center. There's a story there and it's super cool. And it was installed by our builders by Kubi Energy. They also present for the first time today, Sam. Let's roll it. We would like to welcome you to the first ever installment of Positive Reflections presented by Kubi Energy. We're going to bring you this every Monday morning here on Real Talk. If you have a case of the Mondays, don't worry about it. Positive Reflections is here to remind you there's so much good in this world. There's so much reason for optimism. Now, Positive Reflections is going to be a collection of videos, photos, emails, stories told by audience members just like you who have sent us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Just in the subject line, make sure you write Kuby, K-U-B-Y, or Positive Reflections like sue check out this beautiful photo sue tweeted it out on january 9th she said this is my weekly edmonton snow and sunshot 
absolutely stunning. What about these photos? Absolutely loved these ones too by Real Talker Marshall Lamaru. I'm so grateful he tagged me in his photos. These are his morning views from beautiful Alberta Beach. Have you ever seen high transmission power lines look so stunning? That is absolutely beautiful. Those photos from Marshall Lamaru. And we wanted to wrap up this edition of Positive Reflections with this video. It takes on serious subject matter. It's hilarious. And in the end, it brings people together. So check this out. This is the difference between white people and people who happen to be white by TikToker Josh Tallis. I don't, you don't want to get it twisted. I'm going to explain things for you. There are white people, and there are people who just so happen to be white. You see, the white people are the idiots that we seen storming the Capitol. White people are the ones that follow Trump, thinking he's a godsend, he's the best president ever. White people are the ones that call the police on you when you're just minding your business having a barbecue, you and your family. Those are white people. You see, people who just so happen to be white, they're sick and tired of the injustice that goes on in this country, and they are right alongside of you fighting the same fight that you're fighting. They realize that they have white privilege and they don't think it's fake. They know about this pandemic and they don't say it's a hoax. Those are people who just so happen to be white. And if you're one of those, I'm just going to let you know right now. You are forever welcome to the barbecue. But don't come empty handed. <laughs> I absolutely love it. If you're one of those, you're always welcome at the barbecue. Just don't show up empty handed. That's Josh Tallis. Give him a follow on TikTok at Josh Tallis 8. We've got a great week of shows in store. We're so grateful you're here with us. You can reach out to us anytime using the Real Talk RJ hashtag, or you can, of course, send us an email, talk at ryanjesperson.com. Make it a great Monday, and we'll talk to you again soon.